It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Black British Lives Matter, the podcast. I'm Lenny Henry. And I'm Marcus Ryder. Now, you know this. This is the podcast where we explore why and how Black British Lives Matter, acknowledging and dealing with the racism, the trials and tribulations we face, but wanting to go a bit deeper than that, far deeper than that. We explore what it means to be black and British, our culture, our joy, pain, and we also build on our book, Black British Lives Matter, available now in all good bookshops. Marcus, tell the people what we've been up to and what we have in store today. Well, Lenny, as you know, we covered a lot of issues in our book and had some amazing contributors from David Olasoga to Doreen Lawrence. You're really not um, very subtle in trying to sell the book, are you, actually, Marcus? <laughs> you know, you just diss the book and then you plug in it at the same time. Tell us who we got on the podcast today. That's what we need to okay. do. I was getting to that. Okay, good. Okay, patience. Here we go. So, today we are covering Black British Music Matter. Woo! Hey! Black <laughs> British Music, yeah. Tom Jones, Ed Sheeran... <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Who else? Lisa, Lisa Dusty Stansfield. Springfield, uh, Lisa Stansfield, yeah. average white band. I mean, they put it in the title of the band. Yeah. Jamiroquai. Uh, Jamiroquai. He was good. Okay. Today, podcast listeners, we have a stellar lineup. Literally the best exports and royalty of black British music to guide us through this incredibly important subject. First, Joining us remotely down the line, we have a because he couldn't be asked to even just come down the studio two minutes from his yard. We have a close personal friend and the godfather, hell, of Black British soul music and responsible for what I believe should be the Black British national anthem. I'm talking about Back to Life. I'm talking, of course, about Jazzy B from Soul to Soul. <laughs> Big up. Huge Good morning. respect. Good morning. Um, joining the original Funky Dread, we have the queen of Black British soul music, the queen. Fellow Midlander, although I could have done without her wearing a wolf's top on the Commonwealth Games oh, thing the other night. Dear. I'm talking about the amazing, the wonderful, sounds so sweet, <laughs> Beverly Knight, who has been the, in the music industry for over 25 years. She has won far too many awards to count, and her debut album, The B-Funk, was held as the best British soul album ever. And last but not least, my friend Carlton Dixon, who's worked in the music industry since 1984, and has worked with people like Whitney, Bobby Brown, M. Vogue, Emily Sande, Omar, Shola Amar, and I think Soul to Soul as, as well at some point. He's a walking encyclopedia of black British music. Welcome all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Now, um, I want to start with a warm-up question. What was the first record you bought and a follow-up? Do you remember the first concert you went to? Let's start with Beverly. 
First record I bought um, was, well, I had to beg my sister because I wasn't old enough. It's going to be embarrassing. Uh, no, actually, it's not. Oh, okay. It's not. It's quite <laughs> the reverse. It was um, Off the Wall. Oh, true. So, okay. Yeah. yeah because me and my sister uh, were obsessed. We used to teeth the um, little recording thing that my mum and dad had in like their cassette, bedroom, the little player. cassette player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, With and we plug in the, the mic. Exactly. <laughs> you plug in your little microphone and we'd make little tapes of ourselves singing and, you know, singing Jacksons and whatever. And then, of course, off the wall came out. Beg my sister, because she's older than me. Oh, please, 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 will you buy this for me? And so... I got it on cassette off the wall. Great. I can't tell you where it is now, though. Um, so, yeah, not a shabby start. That's all right. And that was um, the first concert? First concert. Well, the first time I ever went to a concert is a bit of a story. On my own, you know, a proper, proper, proper deal for me was, like you, Len, obsessed with Prince. Absolutely obsessed. So I had to see Prince. And I took myself off on a coach um, to Manchester. <laughs> to didn't tell, lied to my mom. Did you take sandwiches? Thing. I took sandwiches. Sugar and everything, water. Um, and went to see Prince. So you've got Michael Jackson and, and Prince. You can't yeah. really do much better than <laughs> that, man. That's... Which stage was Prince at when he went to the concert? So this was Love Sexy. Oh, okay. exactly. That was a great concert. Mm. Exactly. What about you, Jazzy? First record um, you ever bought? Oh, my days. What a question. Um, it would have been a floppy disk. <laughs> a, free, a free one. A free tune. Do you, do you remember those floppy disks? I do. Yeah, yeah, you used to yeah. go with the record yeah. mirror. Yeah. yeah. And I would have bought something like maybe Supermore or Nutriment at the time. And it was given away one of these um, floppy disks. Yeah. <laughs> God, I remember them well. That's amazing. But the problem with this question, you see, I come from a household of sound systems. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. idea yeah. of actually buying records and stuff like that, um, I guess, was kind of a way of life. It was more what you could get hold of, whether you were bartering, stealing or whatever. So the idea of purchasing, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to dig a little deep on that. Yeah, I, and I guess for you, the first gig you might have seen would have been a, a sound system gig with one of your family. The first, you know, outside of the blueses and stuff like that, we used to go to Alexander Palace on a Sunday roller skating as a kid. And I remember seeing Emperor Roscoe, DJ Emperor Roscoe and Fat Man at the time. Uh-huh. And I believe Fat Man's sound broke down. And hypothetically, you know, under the rules of sound system, this Canadian DJ, the kind of... Um, no, it was Emperor Roscoe, basically. And, yeah, he took it out. And I think that was probably the the, the concert or the um, gathering that had the most impact on me. Carlton, oh, okay. um, can you remember the first tune you bought? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was um, Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Wow. Oh, gosh. Because uh, back, nice yeah, back in the day, um, my mum used to go shopping in Balham. And rather than me walk around getting bored with her, she would just park me in the record shop. And, of course, she flicked through stuff. She gave me some money. And I was just like, you know, can I, can I get superstition, please? Is that how you spoke? You speak like that now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how you talk now. Yeah, did, you, did, you have to argue, now. did you have to argue about the amount of money she gave you? Or did she no, 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 no. It was like, it was 50p. It was, you know, and it, and it came with, with a massive hole in the middle of the record. And I was, you know, 
rather than you know so you had to kind of also get one of the the things to oh, press to put, into it to put yeah. into it yeah so that it would sit on the on the um on the record player on the spindle of the record yeah, 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 yeah so yeah, yeah. first gig because those are old jukeboxes aren't they yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so the first gig should have been um Heat wave and high tension. Oh my but god, my, that would have been yeah, killer. Yeah, but my, my friends didn't sort out the tickets, so it ended up being Rolls Royce with Starguard opening for them at Hampshire Vote. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. That's a good gig. That's a good gig. And the second was was Parliament Funkadelic. Oh my god. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, so, oh, Brothers, Brothers Johnson, uh, Dudley, uh, Birmingham Town Hall. Amazing. Uh, which is brilliant. Yeah, and um, first tune was Skin Tight by Ohio Players. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay, you, you people okay. are all too cool for school, <laughs> man. Right. I can I can match you on the first concert. So first concert was Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Oh, oh, right. oh, oh, oh here we go. Okay. So Shall we leave? Okay. <laughs> Do you want to stroke your chin and smoke your pipe a bit? Yeah. <laughs> right. But first record... Joan Jett and the Love Hearts. I love rock, I and, love rock, roll. rock and roll. Too. Oh, okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not mad at that. I mean, I'm I, I love I'm 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 a lover of music, and I, I right. you know my taste is very eclectic. So I'm not mad at that at all. I know, but I need somebody to come in and be sympathetic to me, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that one. So I appreciate it. Listen, I appreciate that's, it. Oh, that's, that's, that's respect. I give yeah. you respect for those things. Yeah. That was a very good opening question, I think, mm. Marcus, and will help us absolutely flow to our second book deal. Um, <laughs> But I need to talk to you because we didn't do a Black British Music Matters yeah. in, in the book. So let's open this up. Why do you think music is so important to Black Britons? Um, Jazzy, can you mm. start talking about why music is so important to us? I think Beverly tapped on it, the, the, the whole issue within our community. And, um, you know, church was so important. And there was various churches that one could go to, but music in church was something that maybe was the gateway to, you know, what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. I, I come from generations of, 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 of singers and musicians. That, mm-hmm. That's just in my DNA. So for me, the most natural thing in the world is open my mouth, notes fall out. That's just natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then going to church and... Um, you know, being in an environment where, you know, the, the, the minister or the elders usually would be like, right, and now Sister Dolores is going to sing for us. And off my mum went, go back, well, don't pay attention to the, to the voice. Listen to the words, you know, all that. <laughs> and I'd be in my seat, like, she I want singer. to get up there. She, she was an she, okay singer. She's all right. Um, Dad had a much more powerful voice, um, but... That's where the music flute uh-huh. kind of um, filtered through. To, Did you have to, records to in your house? Did you have a gram? We, ha- oh my gosh, I know Jazzy had were, the sound system. Yeah, the well, we had we had the record player. Yeah. Um, but I remember not not a gram. Grandma had a gram, but we had like a uh, what do you call them? A blue spot. Like a, just a turn, the turntable uh-huh. with all the gubbins oh, underneath, like a MIDI. Yeah, yeah. God, I couldn't think of the word then. Technology moves on so quick. Mm. Um, and we weren't technically allowed to touch the records, oh, no. but you couldn't tell was me. It in the front room? In the front room. <laughs> you couldn't tell me that I wasn't allowed to touch any records. I was on that record player listening to Sam Cooke, and it was always gospel. We didn't have anything in the house. What I didn't know is mum and dad had all the secular music in the loft, uh. <laughs> up in the attic, Beatles, 78s of Beatles and stuff, probably worth a packet now. But we had um, all Sam Cooke and like dry stuff like Jim Reeves. I kind of got an appreciation of Jim Reeves now, but 
um, you know, like church music, uh, and it meant everything. The 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 services and the 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 whole kind of dogma and the theology. I got into a bit because that's just you know I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. I'm like that. But musically, it was bread. It was butter. It was message music. It was hope. For me, it was essential to navigate my life. I had to. I had to be there. So I had to be there. You often hear when people talk about African American music and soul music and how central the church is mm. to that. You don't hear it as much when people talk about Black British music. And it was. And it really was. I think it's because. Yeah. But 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 isn't it because Carlton that. There's just a different system here. Did you have a different lead into love of music? Mm. Uh, well, the thing is, my parents were always really into music. So the radio was always on or something was on the ground. So my mum loved soul, loved reggae. You know, mm. you know, my family, you know, grew up with Bob Marley. So right. reggae was always being played, things that Bob would give. You know, my auntie and my mum was always being played. So that, so that, that was there with my granny because my mum wasn't very religious. But at weekends, every now and then, I'd, I'd have to go and uh, spend time with my granny. And what seemed to hap- happen over time was that church became a business. So you'd go to a church and there'd be a few people there. And then, you know, a year later, she'd be going to a different church and there'd be a full on choir. Two years later, there'd be like a drum kit and keys. Oh, interesting. And, right. and the whole thing got ramped up because... Five years later, Quincy Jones is in the well, corner going, well, that again. Because, you know, Bev, Bev will know this and so, so will Jazzy, you know. If, if people were looking for musicians to go on the road, they'd often go to churches mm-hmm. because there'd be a keyboard player that's got a feel. Mm-hmm. You know, there'd be a drummer who... who for some reason is ch- is channeling something mm-hmm. so you know church became a breeding spot for a lot of musicians who then be you know become the Beverly Knights oh, and the Misha Parises uh, Paul Johnson I think for black British people there is a common culture music um plays a or not common culture music plays a common language where we can discuss prints in the era of what era Prince was at and we kind of you can judge people you can you understand where people are coming from through, through music which leads me on to my next question for Jazzy <laughs> <laughs> right as a as a DJ Jazzy your knowledge is um extensive mm-hmm. right to say the least in in your view what are some of the most important and I'm going to be asking you this Beverly and Carlton so oh, be, be ready what's the most important <laughs> iconic black British tunes um in terms of um, black British history, you know, what would be the ones where you're thinking these are the most important tunes for black British history? Well, it, it's not, I don't know if I can narrow it so far down to songs without having a few hours to contemplate. But <laughs> it's going to be a row. <laughs> you know, we could at least start with um, Eddie Grant and the Equals. Which one? Know, any, any of Eddie's songs at the time, mm-hmm. you know, because then it went from Eddie Grant of, of um, the equals to Eddie Grant, um, Osabisa, Simonday, um, you know, Simonday were a major um, influence in terms of that whole British sound and what it all evolved in, what we're listening to today. So they were amazing. 
Yeah, Growing yeah. up as well, I was quite spoiled because I was, um, you know, grew up in London. Um, everywhere you turn is about music and stuff. So from a very early age, trying to be unique and carve my own way, it was always about the third track on the B side of the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt to me like those those albums that were coming out of London where people were in their street clothes sitting on a car, <laughs> singing kind of reggae music tinged with soul, that felt original. And, and one of the things about Soul to Soul was that it just, it had a very, it had a very Caribbean beeline. The bass yeah, yeah, was yeah. very Caribbean. Yeah. It wasn't like an American. I mean, I, I kind of had a feel, when I went to see, when I saw Lights of the World at Gulliver's, you know, 13 geezers on stage in this tiny club singing Earth, Wind and Fire's Fantasy, mm. it was it was great, but I kind of knew it wasn't really... I mean, London Town was great, but it wasn't really going anywhere because they didn't really write songs and they were they were paying homage with their music to an American sound. And that's a di- that's difficult for a soul singer, isn't it? Bradley? I find... Yeah, this, this, this whole conversation is interesting because you guys are... Uh, um, as, as you guys kind of went before me, you're a little older than I am. <laughs> no shade. No shade. I'm just saying. Hang on a minute. I'm just saying. Hang I'm on. just saying. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking facts. Go on. So um, when, I, when I was very young, I can remember, um, you know, David Grant singing mm. to me. But my memory of David Grant, um, yes, there was intuition and all that, but, but my memory was... David singing with Jackie Graham yeah, and me yeah. going, oh my God, Jackie yeah, yeah, Graham yeah. and she's from home. You know, so, and then <laughs> on seeing... Soul Train on Channel 4. And, um, <laughs> well, on, on top of the pops as well, you know. Um, and then seeing um, Misha break through, screaming for my sister, going, oh my God, there's this woman and she's from here and she's, you know, and just being excited knowing that these people were from here. I didn't even know the real thing. Mm were from Liverpool until much later on. Right. You know, when I started to really, you know, dig down. down And so my experience was I inherited what you guys, you guys, you know, and Jazzy and that kind of generation had laid the path. I was just walking down it. You guys had already cut that path for me. So um, hearing Soul to Soul... And then at this, and then a little later, hearing what Massive Attack were doing to me, I was like, okay, I can identify this sound as being something that has absolutely come from here mm. and come from our experience, what we do. The writer Jeffrey Boacci recently wrote the book Musical Truth, where he explained Black British history from the Windrush to today. Um, Carlton, are there any songs that either of you think are useful to understanding Black British history? It's, I don't know. Black skin, blue-eyed boys, I always yeah, say. Well, the, you know, the thing is with, with Eddie, Eddie was always a bit of a rebel. So, you know, if you look at, you know, black skin, blue-eyed boy, uh, living on the front line. Oh, tune. Um, tune. You know, he, uh, give me Oak Joanna. He's yeah. always done that through his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, something like, not living on the front line, Electric Avenue. Mm. Was was written because he had left Britain uh, to set up in Barbados, and the airline lost all of his luggage, including his recordings. <laughs> so he thought, I, "I need to write some songs." And because 
uh, two years ago, he was in the middle of the Brixton riots. Mm-hmm. He came up with Electric Avenue and I Don't Want to Dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but you know, we because we've not really had a chance to be like, you know, three or four albums deep with something, people need to hit quickly. Black musicians have to hit quickly. So it's not normally a message song. It's normally something that's going to rock a dance. Yeah. So, so we we just don't have that that give. Yeah, but I think there are some some songs which don't have to be message songs, which still say something really important about black people's place in in the UK, like Cockney Translator. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cockney yeah. Translation. Yeah, yeah. Cockney yeah. Translation. Yeah. 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 Oh. Okay. Or Police so, Officer, I suppose. Police yeah. Officer was, yeah. is a great that was example. A tune. You know, yeah. so I, I think there are some. Lenny's corrected me. Apologies, Cockney translation. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, by the late great Smiley Culture. Yeah, you know. So, but I think there are. I'm wondering if there's some songs that Jazzy thinks that um, Carlton Beverly think that not necessarily message songs, but like that just got that oh, that feeling. I tell you what, um, and you'll you'll all know it. Everybody knows it, and we know it was a response record to something that was already out there. I remember as a kid seeing Althea and Donna's um, Uptown Top Ranking on telly Mm -hmm. on Top of the Pops and thinking, oh, my God, but they sound like us. This is this is this is us. Oh, my God. This is like and it felt very much like something that was our little club. You know, mm-hmm. and all my white friends at school would say, oh, what they're saying? I don't understand. Can you help me to... Do you know? And it felt like the doors opened. That felt like a seminal moment for me. And police officer, for absolutely, smiley culture. Um, and then moving on from, from there, um, I would even say, and because they were from Birmingham, I'd say musical youth. This generation! Exactly. Seeing kids who were, you know, little Michael and Kelvin were like a couple of years older than than I am now. Hearing that and hearing Pastor Dushy was just, for me, mind-blowing. It it wasn't like it was message music, Mm -hmm. but its very existence and the fact that it blew up was in itself a message. Of course, I saw them live, you know. I saw them at the Hummingbird Musical Youth and they were fantastic. Okay, they came on, they, they, entered, they entered the stage on BMX bikes and the crowd were like, Ray! and then when they started to play, it was like, oh, they can play. They can play. It was really, and they could sing, it was great. Yeah. They were very, very good. Right. But absolutely, man, it was just hearing my voice was also, I mean, and, and soul to soul. You, you, you can't have a conversation no, a, no, a, no. A, about British and message and essential black British music without, Saying soul to soul, you the fact well, it was cool, but that was the real jazzy, the black Beethoven in in, in uh, Rolling Stone. I think. Could mm. you talk a bit about your approach to the way the tunes were mixed? I know you all mixed, you mixed with Melly and stuff, but it was that thing of no, 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 no. We don't want it to sound like it's Radio One. We want it to sound like we're at a dance. We want people to move to this. Well, it all technically started out by us wanting to be the biggest sound system in the world. So the first tune we released was actually one of our dub plates, which is Fair Play. Uh So that's how the whole thing kind of started off. All the other things that came along with rock and roll and its control um, were based on a more of a punk attitude. 
because we were growing up here in London, shopping window for the rest of the world. You're watching all the other mistakes and, and things that don't really hit happen. Um, what was important was us understanding it wasn't about us going to them, it was them coming to us. So that made us have even more of a, uh, for want of a better word, a regional attitude. So we were totally doing exactly what we wanted to do, which was loosely based on a cartoon that we drew when we were in school and where the funky dreads from the planet art sent down to earth to fight against <laughs> Rapatakas Bacchus. Ah, yes, <laughs> uh, yes. I've heard about and, this. And the, 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 our vision or really our job is as pleasure givers. So all the things what we've just spoken about were all part and parcel of that journey. It sounds and, like you had a plan. Well, that's what I'm saying. It is. It's in the cartoon. That's mm -hmm. what the cartoon's about. So when you look at the cartoon, you see all the figures and everybody. And even within your passport, there was a time we were traveling to places like Korea and places like that in the earlys when I had the fashion liner. And you were an alien with this passport. Mm -hmm. And we were going to many places and being mistaken for different people, whether it was their nationality or whatever. All of those things and isms, we use those for us to plot and navigate the way through. And the idea of it is more like, um, you know, the, the concept we came up with, which is, is the idea of inclusivity oh. and a happy face, a thumping base for a loving race. Tune! Parcel of the ethos. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We see so many successful black British artists. I mean, growing up as a kid, yeah. even to present day, we get a lot of one or two hits and then... And gone. They're gone, yeah. right? Yeah. Is there a racist... And I, I hate to say it, but is there a racist approach to black artists that's different to, you know, these, I used to, me and Carlton used to talk about this all the time of mm. some black artists being seen as singles artists yeah. and some artists being seen as album artists. Yeah. Kate Bush being developed from the age of 16 years old by oh, EMI. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jamiroquai oh, yeah. being taken on and developed. Developed, yeah. And, yeah. and black artists being, oh, you got to go for going, some guy going to a church and going, she's good. Let's cut yeah. this tune. It's a hit. And then you don't hear about that artist anymore. Yeah. Is this a racist attitude of the music industry? It's... No. It, it, it's a, it's unconscious bias, I think. I think there is a stereotype. Um, I don't think it's, we don't like black people, therefore... No, I don't think it's that. I'm just I saying, think is that... there is an idea that people have of um, what black artists should look like, sound like, you know, depending on the era. Um, and so when it's when you find a black person that doesn't exactly fit into that mould, there's a little bit of, oh, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Well, what we have to do is try and make them fit into this mould because they're black. They're yes. supposed to fit into this mould. This is what we understand. Um, and but when we you grew got up someone... seeing black artists on album covers, didn't we? I grew up with yeah. Otis... Mm. Otis you know, Otis Redding, S- right. Sam Cooke, Jackie Wilson, Live, The Supremes, endless Motown albums, endless Titan Up albums on Trojan yeah. Records. Yeah. Um, so we knew that black artists made albums, but it seemed to me that in the development of black British artists from about 75 onwards, it was always one tune gone. Yeah, yeah. But, but Jazzy I came was, in with an emphatic no. Jazzy said no. So I, yeah, I, I want to hear Jazzy's okay. opinion on this. Oh, okay. Basically, it's, it's what you signing up to. If, you know, you just, it, what Lenny was just mentioning was all acts that were on Motown, that's a black label. Mm-hmm. The, the, there weren't that many mainstream um, black labels, you know, in the UK. And if there were uh, black artists doing well, they were coming through the crossover channels. Now, when you talk about an artist repertoire and developing the artists and so on and so forth, that did sort of end in the 70s and then there would have been a few romantic people around left in the 90s possibly. But the whole idea of developing artists really changed when all the charts became available, i.e. it used to be called R&B charts, there was a dance chart, there was this chart and you would all lead to the Radio 1 um, national chart, quote-unquote. Mm. So, you know, that was the European version of crossover. And in the Americas, again, there was the R&B charts, this chart, and then you crossed over to so you know, Billboard's main charts. The difference is in America, those territories are literally the size of Europe. 
So that means artists like Luther Vandross ran the route for many years just on the R&B scene, like Pat LaBelle and all those other great artists who were having number one records throughout that before they even crossed over. Um, whereas in um, England, all of the bands were signing to guys who were part of the um, recruitment setup. But again, it was more on their agenda, what they possibly believed they could develop. And here we are now in the year 2022, et cetera, et cetera, where all of the ideas of distribution and how you monetize your income now have, have basically evaporated because now we're living in a digital era. And, um, you know, everything's being streamed and, and, and available on multi-different platforms. I think if you're starting now, you'd if you're starting now, Beverly, would you just go straight online? Would 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 it oh, just be you with a mic online? I'd be I'd be making your absolutely music. hammering TikTok. I'd be hammering Instas. I'd be making reels. I'd be that's what I'd be doing because because you know the idea of you know an A and R man coming up to see me singing Palomas in Wolverhampton City Centre. Gone, finished. Yeah. That finished way back well, you, when. It's almost like people have discovered like Jazzy's, Jazzy's family and Jazzy starting a system, or me and Carlton buying records, mm. or you just kind of going to church and everything. People, kids now discover themselves. They go, yeah. Here's, yeah. here's what I do. This is what my voice sounds like. This is my sound. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of tunes I'd like to do. And here's me doing them. Absolutely. Here's some things I wrote already. And then you just, and then they're just finding their tribes I online, think- which you can do. Yeah, I think the thing about back in the day is if you have a record out, you have to pray that it's successful because they'll let you make the second record in the way you want to. Where if they've signed you on a big deal and you have the first album and it doesn't do well, they're like, well, we gave you a chance to do it your way. Now we're going to suggest who's going to write for you, who's going to produce for you. So, and if you don't like their ideas, it's tricky. You're you stuck. Know, well, you, you're stuck, or, or, you, or you're surely, that, surely that's the ticket that you buy. A lot of people don't. You think a lot of people don't realise that, Jazzy? And, because and no, don't. no, I don't. Because you have a lawyer. <laughs> you you yeah, can't tell you say a lawyer. That. You say things. that, but I'll tell you, as someone who didn't come from cool and deadly London, who <laughs> didn't know anything about anything. I came from a place where all I knew was I saw those people on the telly, on top of the pops, and thought not one of them can sing as well as me, and I damn well know it, and one day I'm going to prove it. I had no idea how, but I was going to somehow get there. And then a whole bunch of sliding doors things happened to me, thank you, universe, to enable me to make my first record. I didn't know about, do you know, I, I knew I needed to have some kind of legal something, but my first lawyer, I don't even know if he was a lawyer. He was just a, a bloke who was helping me. Of course, I fell into all the pitfalls. You learn very quickly. But I think now kids are a lot more savvy. But um, They still need to know still... not to sign anything without representation. Absolutely. But in the you pops think... chain, you don't sign anything. <laughs> you know, the way you go about having music now, you know, now looking into the metaverse and how the whole world has changed... But without having those experiences that Beverly and very um, many other artists had, you know, there wouldn't be any substance. And, and artists like Beverly, um, you know, had the, the vision, people like Lenny, et cetera, et cetera. All you artists put the hours in, 
You know, no one said it was going to be easy. And that is also part of rock and roll. Never been easy, no. No. Nothing, nothing great, nothing Nothing that you're going to, yeah, you have to sacrifice. Absolutely. I was um, reading Chuck D um, the other day. He's very lively on Twitter at the moment. (laughs) And he was bigging up black British music. He was talking about drill and he was talking about the drill rappers and how good they were. It's weird having the world looking at us like this. What do you think of the current success of people like Stormzy and on both sides of the pond? What does that say about black British culture now? God, it's... For me, I think to myself, I look at, the, the you know, this this younger generation to me and think, God, it's been a long time coming. This... this so many of us have been on this journey and have created... I mean, if it, if it was if it was a cow trail back in the days when Jazzy was growing up and coming through in yourselves and that, mm. and then it was widened a bit to a bit of a, a country lane when I was coming. Now we're looking at a six-lane motorway and everybody's travelling down it. And we've come such a long way to get to this mm. point. There's always been a sense of leadership coming out of the British there Isles, has, I think. But I think but Britain, has, Britain has always been known as the place where um, you... And if, if you're successful with it, there is true innovation that happens here. Yeah. We've always been the land of the hybrid. You know, I keep talking about soul to soul. I keep talking about massive attack. But it, uh, they're just examples of where hybrids happen. I'd say my own career is something of a soul hybrid. It's not certainly not uh, a, a purist, you know, or anything like that. I've drawn from many different things and it's kind of made up me. And when I look at... Um, What's going on with Dave, you know, Getz, Stormzy, um, even Mahalia, you know, I have to mention Georgia, black country. Um, you know, maybe when I look at what these kids are doing now, again, it's a hybrid. It's a fusion of what their parents were doing, which, let's be real, is a generation because these guys are young <laughs> Jesus you know um, it's very outward facing I think it's it's bringing to it's knitting together so many elements of what we do here and then again yeah showing it to the rest of the world this is us and it's not just this is us it's this is us and the rest of you can't do this because you'd have to have lived our experience. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to have listened to what we've listened to. You'd have to have been ingrained and seeped into the earth the way we were in order to do this. What's happening with black British music now could not have come from anywhere yeah. else. The Americans couldn't come over easily and replicate it. The way that they... When, I remember when, when drum and bass first dropped, the jungle first <laughs> yeah, dropped, yeah. and then... A few months later, I was hearing Timberland producing Ali as One in a Million with the... And I was yeah. like, that's not that's an American that's not beat. <laughs> that is us. You have sucked up what we've done. You've put it into the American machine and you've sold it back to us. Brilliantly, I must say. But... I feel as though that's what is going on with Black Britain now. See, I'm getting very animated because it's no, very it's great. exciting. It's really good to hear. It's exciting. very exciting. I mean, what's interesting is your Jazzy's kind of very plugged into the A&R side. I'm, I don't know of any black promoters in this country. I mean, I'm always thinking about if you were doing a gig and you wanted a black artist, who are the black promoters? And there are, I don't think there there's, are any. There's, there's lovely Ray. 
um, he's got long dreads, can't think of his second name for the love of God. Um, but that's that's the only, in terms of a big player, he he, he works with a lot of the big players. That's the only person I but, can think of off the top of my head. The, well, the, the game's changed in terms of life because back in the day, there was, in America, there was the um, the Budweiser Superfest. So through the summer, you'd get, you know, uh, Patti LaBelle, um, New Edition, Guy, Karen White, all on the same bill. And so there was a live circuit that a would package. travel. Yeah, that, okay. that would travel around over the summer. Plus all those artists, because they were album artists, yeah. rather than having a hot song that was streaming well, mm. could tour during the winter. Yeah. Right? Where now, because of the way streaming has gone, and we're no longer getting album artists in the same way. Few people are coming through. The whole concert thing has changed. Plus the deals that the record companies are doing. Before it'd be like, you know, we get a piece of every record. Now we get a piece of every record, every concert, every T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so the whole business has, has changed. So a lot of people are not set up to, to put themselves out properly as live. They can do 40 minutes a festival in a field. Yeah. But in terms of putting together a proper show, because like back in the day, like Soul to Soul had a lot of people on the road. Do you know, you, Jazzy, do you remember you that, Jazzy? that thing of having people just coming up and doing one song or two songs? That's a sound system thing, isn't it? It, it really was taken from uh, Mr. Brown's review idea. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So the, the, and, and the idea how you um, put it about being the sound system etc etc it's all borrowed ideas from all over the place but yeah the idea of the soul to soul show is like a review I think that's a really good place to leave it I mean I would I would personally like it if there were more people I mean you know you used to mark martial arts and Harvey got you know yeah. where are the people of colour Putting You've on, got people like Les Bain, who looks Les Bain. after... I know Les Bain. Les Bain, Les Bain yeah. Les, not Les, a promoter, though, Les right? was never a concert promoter. He was a no, record but promoter. I, but you see, that what you're saying, in order to get to the good promoters, you've got to have a good agent who filters all that nonsense, yeah? Yeah. Because most of the stories you're going to hear, tragic stories are of a man putting up his house because he couldn't sell enough tickets, etc., etc., which was happening all over the place with the romantic idea of putting on shows and, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there are channels and ways that it is done. And primarily, particularly on the mainstream circuit, one has an agent who filters and, and, and hopefully gets the kind of shows that the artist and how the artist wants to be represented. Yeah. Okay, um, I've loved this, and we could be doing this. So we could do more, this. There's there? more to talk about. So much And maybe more. we should reconvene. I think there's another, there's, there's more of these. Um, I like to end these podcasts on a positive vibe. So my last question for all three of you, Marcus, you're not allowed to join in because you'll probably say something like, you know, Philonius Monk live at um, Ronnie Scott's. Um <laughs> What black British artists are you currently listening to? What should I be listening to? I'm going to start with Carlton. Uh, there's a collective called Salt. Like, as in a condiment? S-A-U-L-T. Salt. Okay. Yeah, who are incredible. And uh, Cleo Soul uh, is part of that, that thing. And, and what's great is that they've had several albums out. No one knows who's behind it. And... They're, 
they're both conscious lyrically and you know they make records for audiophiles right they're great records that you can listen to that you can dance to that makes you think um and i you know if i was still doing concert promotion promotion i'd be be like literally on a hunt trying to find out who's behind that because they'll be amazing live okay beverly who are you listening to at the moment so I've been, I have to mention my family, I've been mentioned, I've been, um, sorry, listening to a lot of what the Black British Collective are doing, mm-hmm. which is, um, it's, it's old school, but it's new school because it's new music. Um, Noel McCoy, Omar, um, and... Junior. Uh, Junior and, and Don. Hang on a minute, isn't that them old men who used to, like, are they, just, <laughs> yeah. are they still doing gigs and stuff? But they actually yeah. have come together to form a collective, no, no, which I is know. so much, it's great because I love the fact that um, they they finally got some business Good. acumen behind them. Good. Because that was my one thing that I always used to say, you guys are unbelievable, but you need to be about the business of the music, yeah. and you're not. I saw Omar and in now Paris. they are. I saw Omar um, in Paris a couple of years ago. It was a phenomenal show. Yeah. Phenomenal. These guys are great. They're really great. It's, and it's, I also love Dave as well. Dave. I think Dave's really, just a really interesting artist. Okay. Jazz, are you you're listening to Don't Say Wookie? <laughs> My man, every time, Jazz, every time Jazz was on radio, yeah, Wookie, what's going on? It's like, <laughs> it's like you never knew where he was to make a tune. You were always shouting out for him. Where are you, Wookie? Where are you, man? I love Wookie, <laughs> Um, Who are you listening Children to? of Zeus. Children of Zeus. Yeah, yeah. Never heard of them. Yeah, they, they're good. Can I download them? Uh, Clearly. Aren't, aren't they out of Manchester, Jazzy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what kind of music is it? Children of Zeus. It's Children of Zeus it's vibe. Of Z- okay. You are so obtuse sometimes. I'll, listen. <laughs> oh, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna find that. I'm going to download that. Listen, you guys have been brilliant. Jazzy, Beverly Knight, you are indeed Black British music royalty. Thank you so much for joining us today and explaining exactly why Black British music matters. I'm off to listen to some Loose End, Stormzy, Sade, Imagination, Dave, Children of Zeus and Salt. I love you guys, Marcus. Just relax. You're an old person. Take time. Put on slippers. Smoke your pipe. Me and Bev and Carlton and Jazzy going out to listen to some Children of Zeus. People, Black British matters. Excelsior! (laughs) (laughs) Where did that come from? Okay, Marcus, the podcast's over, the guests have left. Let's have a debrief. What did you make of that? First things first, we need to do a follow-up. I I loved it, but we only scratched the surface. I totally agree. It was brilliant to have all those guys in the studio. Really magic. The other thing is, and I don't know how much it will come across when people listen to the podcast, but recording it was so much fun. The energy levels were off the scale. Black British people, black British people generally, black British music, we just have a special relationship culturally to our music. I, I think it's just so in, such an important issue for us to cover. I mean, this podcast just proved that. I agree with all of that, Marcus. Um, but I have to say, all the issues we're covering are really important. And next week, we're looking at black British hair matters, from afros to weaves, and even crazy bald heads like yourself. Not one people should miss. It's going to be great. Podcast. It's going to be dope. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 